Welcome to the Knicks, where we talk about pop culture until we can't stand it anymore, and we nix it. I'm Justin Hartung. And I'm Fanny Darling. As always, a quick warning, there might be spoilers for anything we talk about on this podcast, but we always try to tell you that they're coming. This week, it is our post-election grab bag, i.e. whatever the hell has been on our TV this last week of hell. Uh, Topics this week might include the Queen's Gambit and finale thoughts on We Are Who We Are and The Vow. As always, a plea to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app, Podchaser, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, or wherever uh, such pod-related things let you review things. Uh, It helps people find us. Please do it. We'd love that. Um, First off this week, we wanted to, uh, first of all, give a shout-out for surviving the past couple weeks, everybody. Uh, Yay, you did it. Um, We're feeling cautiously optimistic and also terrified so uh whatever that combination is um, i'm sure somebody will come up with a catchy portmanteau um but we thought it'd also be appropriate to start off the podcast by calling out a very excellent article that made us laugh uh and also calmed us down a bit which i think we all need right now uh it's written by ellie mistal i'm not sure if i'm saying that right in the nation the article is called trump is trying to overturn the election but i'm not panicking yet or but why i'm not panicking yet um it's just a kind of question and answer um running down everything that's happening and why we shouldn't panic yet uh it's (laughs) hilarious uh fanny's gonna read a choice quote here um okay so it's question and answer with you know funny but still very astute answers to the questions that are scaring us all and then finally the deep dives of I'm going to call them the Justin questions. Uh, the I have been up until three o'clock in the morning figuring out ways that democracy is going to die. And, Fair. and it ends in, well, what's our plan for that? And the answer is, my dude, I don't have a plan for nothing matters anymore. The end of the end of democratic self-government is not a thing one has a legal plan for. That's like asking what my plan for closing a demonic hell mouth that opens in my backyard die my plan would be to die i'm not keanu reeves so good it's It's very good perfect it Um, also brought me why keanu reeves is the the main kind of thing there but i'll take it (laughs) because the person that wrote this is a good thinking and right thinking person that understands (laughs) that keanu reeves can do anything include save democracy democracy i think it might be a john wick reference that i'm not getting it's yeah it's yeah also, John Wick and Speed, and yeah, if right, right. yeah, it absolutely is. But also, Keanu Reeves can do anything. It also um, introduced me to my new favorite. Um, I don't know what do they call them, axioms. I don't know why they're called razors, but um, Occam's razor was always my favorite. The, the simplest solution is often the one that the correct one. This one is Hanlon's razor, which is don't assign malice to something when stupidity could just as easily be the answer. And <laughs> I assign malice to everything, so I'm going to try and remember that. Perfect. It's useful and hilarious. And yes. we want to figure out who Hanlon is. Um, <laughs> and my plan to die, everyone knows that is my plan for the so I feel like this person and I should be friends and Mistal, call me. Let's go have a drink. I mean, when I we can have drinks again. Apocalypse, you can eat me first. So I'm right <laughs> yep. You. yep. Um, all right. Should we get into our not quite main topics, but things we both saw this week? Sure. Uh, we saw the finales for We Are Who We Are on HBO and The Vow also on HBO. Um, let's start off with We Are Who We Are. It's a show that we talked about kind of off and on the last uh, several episodes. It is um, Luca Guadagnino's uh, series, miniseries, limited series, whatever they call it, about uh, two young people on an army base in Italy kind of working out their sexuality and their identity and um, their role as Americans in this crazy, bizarre environment. What did you think of the series finale and the series as a whole? And we got to do grades here. Okay. Series, uh, you want to hear what I think first or you want my grade? Up to you. 
Okay. I'm going to say what I think first, because I'm not sure what my grade is. Um, I still have quite a bit of respect for this uh, show and for the kind of uncomfortable feelings that it gave me, uh, particularly after learning that they decided that, that the creators decided that these children were 14 years old, which, um, there were some things after that that made me uncomfortable and it made me uncomfortable that I was rooting for them. Like, uh, Frazier's character's obsession with a, I don't know, 28, 30 year old soldier. And they go out and have, I mean, it's not supposed to be a date, I don't think, but it certainly feels like a date. And then his girlfriend shows up to meet them. And my first reaction was, oh, he has a girlfriend. And then my reaction was, no, no. <laughs> Good. I'm glad he has a girlfriend. Don't root for this. Right. And this is inappropriate. And this guy shouldn't be there. And I won't you know, spoil much, but my feelings about that relationship ended up being uh, stronger. <laughs> And made right. me more uncomfortable, and I do think resolved correctly. And uh, but I definitely had some complicated feelings about, particularly the way that it dealt with Fraser's relationship with his mother, and and a sort of sexual competitive way. And I know that is a thing, but it made me uncomfortable. Um, and his relationship with this older man mainly because he didn't have anybody else to have an appropriate crush on I don't think and um Andy was very used to hanging out with adults and being adult like but because I was kind of that kid too I think it made me a little bit more uncomfortable uh in the end I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought the finale episode was wonderful. I really enjoyed its lack of dialogue throughout kind of the whole series, which for me, that's not usually a thing I enjoy. I, I live on dialogue. I enjoy writing dialogue. I, I like dialogue that drives plot. And so it was interesting for me that I loved the fact that it did not have a lot of dialogue and that you kind of just had to sit in it. And um, I, the self-discovery of these two you know, no other word for them. These two weirdos that ended up finding out that there was another weirdo to be with and to be friends with really spoke to me, and I and I really enjoyed it. Um, so I don't know that it tips into incredible territory for me, but it's definitely a high nice. What'd you think, Justin? I'm gonna go high nice as well. Um, I think all of the things you said, I pretty much right on board with, and I think in the end it to its credit, but also maybe to its detriment, didn't really grapple with a fair amount of that stuff. It just sort of went, here's some complicated stuff and just sort of left it all hanging, especially with, like, I think his mother, like... Yeah, no, they they ditched yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, and, and also his mom's, you know, wife, like, there's just a lot of stuff that sort of just gets left kind of un... Not even... Un, now, I don't mind ambivalence, but it felt unaddressed. I did notice that. Now I don't know if you watched the after show things with the with the writers and with Luca Guadagnino or not. I don't think I saw that one. At the right, end the of the finale, they a lot of the talking heads did say, "So that's where we leave season one." So oh, okay. I don't. I I do think they are planning to make more. So I possibly I it was that's much pitched as a limited series, but clearly yeah, not. They they were they a lot of them said season one, and this is how we what we wanted to do accomplish in season one. And we know that nothing on HBO is a limited series. They don't believe in that shit. So um I I assume that they left those things open to be dealt with if they get picked up. I did, which I don't necessarily so think is good. Some spoilers here for uh, the finale, not anything too heavy, but um, I do. I I, I want to know your thoughts because I was both intrigued but also a little confused by how uh, Fraser's character essentially becomes. Um, you know, he's like finally does meet somebody age appropriate at, at this concert where the whole finale is set, and has kind I of do a, have thoughts on this. One of those magical, wonderful, like only you know when you're 
you know, on the cusp of adulthood and your sort of, you know, late teenage years, mid teenage years, when you're out wandering the streets of a place you don't know and you feel that freedom and you finally feel that sort of queer empowerment. And he just wants his, uh, his main kind of friend um, who for the most part in the show has been on this transition to sort of being, if not transgender queer, um and and non-binary and he's sort of i don't know been sort of positioned as gay and then there's sort of this somewhat could be read as heteronormative coupling of them at the end um but i want to know your thoughts because it didn't totally bother me but i would love to hear what you think i get what you're saying um i thought it only okay Yes, he finally, he gets to have that wonderful free night and the person that you meet and you're like, oh my gosh, this could this could be something and that beautiful spark of of excitement and you know being on the edge of a cliff and then that person actually ends up being interested in you and you realize that you just want to be with someone else. Um, right. And I think the the unattainableness of the older gentleman was safe and easy to be into because it continued to confirm that he was just an outcast and a weirdo. And now all of a sudden he wasn't an outcast and a weirdo and he had to actually face what he wanted and what he wanted was what he wanted was Harper. He didn't, you know, he, and, and I think that they are both, they, they didn't define either one of them. And I thought that was very smart. I mean, and, it's in the title, right? It's like, yeah, we are. Exactly. We are who we are. And um, and who we are is each other. And, you know, and at 14, it's beautiful that it doesn't need to be, you know, I don't think it was heteronormative because I don't think either one of them is heterosexual. I don't right. think, I think they're both very non-binary, very fluid. Right. Um, characters and i liked that they just that they didn't make it okay now you have to be with a girl because you're trans you're a trans guy and you get to go find your little gay boy i liked that they didn't do that and um i liked it i thought it was very sweet this doesn't have to be friendship versus like lover that can also be fluid and also um you know it made me think a little bit about when chloe Sevigny's character is sort of I, I don't know how you read this, but I sort of finished the series thinking, oh, she read, uh, is Harper the character's name? Yeah. Harper? Um, well, Harper, Harper, yeah, that's the the name that they give themselves. Right. Yeah. Reading Harper is essentially, you are a trans boy. And I think one of the themes of the show is like, you don't define that for us. Right. Like, we define this exactly. for who we are <laughs> like yep exactly um, so i i ultimately thought it was really challenging and also very freaking euro like it's a very oh yeah sort of like you know all of this is fluid call me by your name is not surprising that it's you know the same director um right. but for a guy his age i mean i wish i could separate some of the like pervy luca guadagnino stuff it does sometimes feel a little pervy but it's also nostalgic and honest and right um i think he sees a better promise in that generation of sort of navigating this stuff that I find really sweet and refreshing. Yes, I agree. But I also have the, and I discussed this with uh, Layla and Mitch who have been watching it too. And and there is a little bit of, Oh, there's an old man who's filming these scenes where these are very open and expressive scenes. And to know that there's an old man with a camera, it feels a a little voyeuristic and icky and and i don't know that he's i don't think he's necessarily voyeuristic and icky but i i i co-sign what you're saying i hear it and i and i don't want to have people think that it's you know something that we don't see and that isn't there but it is something to sort of be i don't know chewed on in your mind (laughs) Now, if there's a second season of this, will I watch the hell out of it? Yes, because I'm oh, yeah. super into these characters and I want to know what happens. Um, Absolutely. Cool. Um, should we talk about The Vow? Yeah, sure. All right. So The Vow finished. That was a thing. Speaking of another show that uh, they promised us a little. I mean, did it? Series. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it seems like uh, spoilers for The Vow. Uh, one, um, I don't know. What are we, it's, it's Brand. 
one brand to uh what do they call that i'm forgetting all the names when they did the like process vanguard yes one two vanguard <laughs> three i don't know what the word is deacceleration or whatever they made it. <laughs> yes um so this spoilers has ended very uh abruptly and strangely with keith Ranieri in prison and um well they didn't even announce his imprisonment did they I can't remember. I don't even think it was a coda. I've seen it, but I think um, it just ended with them all being arrested. Right. So it seemed like they won, and kind of like you know, it hinted at. Well, it just ended very abruptly, and seemed to be like hinting at a next season where they're going to at least talk to him or explore the story more. Um, Puck has got thoughts on this. Puck vows to keep barking during recording. Um, What did you think? She has some stuff to process. What did you think of this show, Fanny? (laughs) I mean, this is cults, and this is shit that I really love, and so, you know, you can inject it right into my brain, into my arm, and I'm going to watch anything about a cult forever and ever. The fact that it came out that he got 120 years made me feel really good. Uh, yes, there's a lot of ick here, and I've talked extensively about that I don't feel like it's holding some of the people to account for, you know... The, the part that they had in it before they became whistleblowers and that they are still benefiting from getting out when they got out. And so, yes, there is some ick here, but in general, I did enjoy it. I, you know, I can't say that they edited it particularly well. It could have probably been half as long yep. um, for most people besides, you know, me who is into the cults. Um, so, I enjoyed it. I will watch a second season, but I don't know that it was great. You know, I, I want, I, I won't say not for me for my rating because obviously it is specifically for me, but that (laughs) means that it might not be for everyone else. (laughs) This is a necessary viewing for Fanny because she's (laughs) it's necessary for you guy. I would guess. Yeah, I'll go with it. It's uncomfortable, but interesting. It's necessary because I can't do not for me because it is very specifically for me. Um, yeah, I, I read a think piece in Vanity Fair that, uh, right after Ranieri got sentenced to 120 years. And basically the author posited that, oh, well, Keith Ranieri got 120 years and Harvey Weinstein only got 26. Did Ranieri get hard, get sentenced too harshly? And I don't know how that was that person's takeaway from right? these two like, conflicting sentences. What cult? Mine are was like, yes. <laughs> my response was no. We give Weinstein more time, right? But you know that's that's just me. What did you think, Justin? I don't have too much to say about this that I haven't already said. I think it's it's a not for me only in that I would not continue with a second season. It, it was fine. It's just, this is definitely just the line of, for me, of like, I don't want to spend any more time with these stupid people. They're crazy. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Not for me. All right. Um, gotcha. <laughs> all right. So let's jump into, we did what you saw there. Stuff that we both did to pass this hellish um, six months of election night. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is um, pop culture gone too far. Uh, we know that we're not going to be able to have much, you know, fictional content because we're not being able to shoot it. I think the coronavirus will ultimately be worse for scripted television than the writer's strike. Um, because I saw an ad for the masked dancer. <laughs> From the producers of a show I watched 15 minutes of one time and thought, even I can't watch something this stupid. And now, which was The Masked Singer, where they put, you know, what D-list celebrities be in a huge elaborate costume and people guess who they are from, like, apparently super obvious clues. Now they are going to have those people in the huge costumes dance. (laughs) I... I I don't even know what to say, Justin. <laughs> I can't yeah. believe I I kind of can't believe it's actually a thing. And I nix it and I don't want to hear about it when it becomes a cult- cultural phenomenon. I don't want somebody to ask me if I've seen it. I I 
I, I feel dirty having just seen that it's a thing. So that's that's all yeah, I have to say about I, that. I, I have no interest in seeing it, but I also don't begrudge anybody who wants to go look at um, a ridiculous bee costume doing. Bee, you want to watch it? You know, fine, but don't don't, don't come talk to me about it. You want to watch it? Look, I watched the premiere of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, so I I can't tell you not to watch what you want to watch. But and hey, local Fox affiliate KTVU, I do not want to see. The, this week's reveal covered as breaking news on uh, the Fox Morning Show. I do not appreciate that part. That, <laughs> that part. That's the part because they don't talk about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City on KTVU. No, no. they part. talk about the Mass Singer all the time, and it makes me crazy. Why okay. I'm watching well, local Fox affiliate news in the morning is another problem. But we'll because we were born here, and KTVU morning news is an insta fucking tution. That's why right. it makes you feel comforted and nostalgic and warm inside. Because when there is some sort of like, like. I don't know, cultural zen- genocide going on somewhere else in the world, they will cover the local dog show. And that is KTVU. <laughs> that is something that actually happened in my life. My roommate called and was very angry with KTVU. Because <laughs> we found out. <laughs> yes. Anyhow, I also watched some stuff. Um, I... <laughs> I watched 96 hours, I think, straight of MSNBC waiting for results. And I will admit that there is also a spreadsheet. You shut your mouth, Justin Hart Tongue. <laughs> we may or may not share a link. We're not sharing a link because I don't want to go on a 5150. Thank you very much. But. Before I had to watch 96 hours of MSNBC, that's why I have nothing to, truly to support, uh, to present except for the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City um, for before the ele- for uh, from the election on. But before that, I watched on Amazon Prime, I watched Rachel Gets Weird. This is a movie without any well-known actors. I don't think the director is anyone. This is, I think, also we're desperate for content. And so we bought all of Bloomhouse's, like everything they had under a floorboard and we're shoving it on Amazon Prime. So you should watch it. This Spoiler alert, this is going to be most of what I watched because I just let the next one play. Although this movie, I actually think is worth kind of checking out because it's it is legitimately odd. It's uneven. I don't know. It it purports like you know that it's supposed to be a scary movie because the the like trailer and it's Bloomhouse and and so. But for an hour and twenty six minutes of an hour and forty minutes, it's just this weird sort of pseudo comedy about a girl who was left at the altar altar and now lives in this model house out in the middle of nowhere and gets no cell service unless she goes up on pizza mountain because that's the only place she can go to order a pizza and all of her friends are telling her to um get laid basically (laughs) oh sorry it's rachel gets strange (laughs) sorry about that um ah oh no worries so and then all of a sudden vampires yeah i think i'm gonna check this out i I am not sorry I saw it. That's what, okay, that's a new rating. Not sorry I watched it. (laughs) I love it. Not sorry. It's going to be like, uh, yeah. I am not sorry I watched this movie. (laughs) (laughs) After that, I watched the 1980s Fright Night movie um, with Chris Sarandon, who I don't know why anyone ever thought he was hot because, uh, no. and Amanda Bierce. Do you remember Amanda Bierce? Yeah, she played the neighbor on Married with... She played the neighbor on Married with Children. Yeah, she plays the love interest in the original Fright Night. Yeah. So I watched that and then immediately on Showtime watched the um, the remake. You know why I watched the remake? Oh, yeah, because Colin Farrell is a vampire. <laughs> It's like somebody said, hmm, how can we make a, f- a movie more for Fanny 
then Kiefer Sutherland is a vampire. Oh, I know. Let's make it Colin Farrell. And also, let's put Tony Collette in it. And a little bit of Anton Yelchin, just so she can be a little sad about Anton Yelchin. Also, let's put David Tennant in it and make him the weird vampire slayer person in some leather pants. Let, let's, let's do that. That is a I crazy own this good movie. cast. Yes. Well, That's it's a good movie. Cast. All right. I'm it's a good it. movie. I've watched it several times. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I had that amazingly weird thing where David Tennant comes on a, on the screen and I think, why aren't I attracted to him? I'm, I should be attracted to him. And then it's, then I realize it's because I want to be him. <laughs> yes. No, but no, on paper, not, he, he has no sexual energy at all. I understand that. But on paper, he should be like, my type. I feel like all the, don't get me started. But all the doctors are um, celibate. That's my theory. Or okay. Asexual. On paper, Tenet should be my type. And so <laughs> I, the only thing I can realize, the only thing I've come to realize is that he plays parts and moves and is, oh, I just want to be that person. So, uh, I watched Evil Eye on Amazon Prime. This is also a Bloomhouse um, joint, if you will. This is about... Uh, an Indian woman whose mother is constantly trying to get her to get to get married. Uh, she meets someone and the mother becomes convinced that he is the re reincarnated uh, soul of her abusive ex-boyfriend. And turns out he is uh, spoiler alert. That's, that's in the, that's in the trailer. It's, it's assumed from the beginning. This is a good tight little film. Um, oh really? It's well acted. Okay. Yes, it's, it's well acted. We had a good time watching it. I mean, it's not. I'm not sorry I watched it. <laughs> and then like some like middling horror to watch on Amazon. Yeah, I watched 75 percent of Vivarium. This was not for me. This is the what's his face? Eisenberg moves into some neighborhood with all sorts of the same houses and. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to turn out that they're being watched by aliens, but that's what I always go to. I, I don't care. I didn't look it up. I After 75%, I had to go pick up Parker. It was time to leave. I forgot I watched it. Imogene Poots, I kind of like it. It's you. not worth finishing. Okay. Uh, then I watched, I watched Final Girls. I believe this was also on Amazon um, Prime. This is... Malin Ackerman, who I do not like, but also Tasia Faragama, who I do like, Nina Do Dobrev, who I do like. Um, it's an interesting take on your 80s horror film. Uh, oh, Adam Devine is in it as well. Basically, a group of kids get sent into somehow step into an 80s horror film that one of the characters' mothers, who has who is dead, uh, start in as a young girl. Or, you know, teenager and they have to try and survive it and it's it's a night it's a fun take it's funny i enjoyed it things blood gushes i really like that movie it's fun yeah i really yeah. enjoyed it so but it didn't bother me as somebody who doesn't like core i actually was able to watch that movie i enjoyed it well because so. it's just ridiculous it's you know it's 80s gore it's not yeah. so yeah. that is what i did that people saw there Nice. What did you? I'm hoping you have something that's like more like important than any of the crap I, mean, I watched because I, I got I don't know about important, but I got the show that everybody won't shut up about, which I know you watched some of too. I did. Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Uh, this is um, based on a book by Walter Tevis, who I've never heard of. I don't know anything about this book. Uh, it is written and directed by Scott Frank, who apparently is a, a pretty well um, resumed uh, film writer. He did like Logan and Minority Report and a ton of stuff. Um, it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, who I really am starting to think is kind of the, you know. I really she, like her. She is she's so great. Good. Um, everything she's in, she really just sort of tackles in a very serious, different way. I will forgive her for the terrible M. Shyamalan. Wow. M. Night Shyamalan. Wow. Can't say his name suddenly tonight. Um, yeah, those movies are terrible, and she's looking desperate in those movies. Um, I really uh, enjoyed um, the look of this movie. Uh, no, you're asking me if I've seen the new Eggers movie with her and Kidman. No, I don't know what that is. 
uh, there's a the you know the lighthouse and the witch guy. Uh, he's his next one is going to be with Anya Taylor Joy and uh, oh, Nicole Kidman, oh, and cool. it's set like in colonial times. I think I can't remember what it's. Oh, nice. uh, yeah, and yeah. I meant to talk to you and say, oh my god, this is going to be it's going to so be for you. <laughs> nice. Oh, I'm excited. So, um, um, yeah, Queen's Gambit is basically. Um, it's about a chess prodigy. It's a fictional story about a young uh, woman in the 1950s who becomes this crazy chess prodigy at a very young age. Uh, she starts off in an orphanage. Um, so it starts off and it feels very uh, like my first reaction was like, I don't watch a fucking seven episode Netflix show about chess. Like that's just not out of my alley. And it does tick off all of the like, you know, sports. So, uh, whatever boxes like when people talk about sorry uh friday night lights not being about football um people have also said uh, queen's gambit is not about chess it is about chess you gotta watch a lot of chess playing um and it's boring there's like no doubt about it but all that said i watched the first kind of had some grumbles kept watching it really like the second one a little more watch the third she is so good in this that i am totally riveted i also got a call out one of your favorites, uh, Mariel Heller, who is, I told Fanny earlier today, and she said, who? <laughs> Mariel Enos? Do no, uh, you know where's Mari Heller? Um, director of, a create, writer and director of Diary of an American Girl. And um, she is playing on a, Anya Taylor-Joy's adoptive mother in this. She is amazing. Uh, I really mm -hmm. enjoyed their dynamic. It's kind of worth watching, just as you get into that story. Um, it's sort of smart around the edges i'm I'm three episodes in i don't know how they're going to maintain it for seven episodes like it's already feeling a little thin but i'm enjoying it way more than i thought i would and i will keep watching this and i am surprised uh it also features that weird kid from game of thrones uh who played jojen looking ridiculous in the oddly movie. never aging one yeah and he's supposed to play like a older chess prodigy in this and he looks ridiculous uh sorry he's gonna have uh dicaprio man baby problems that's that's i'm weighing in right now um moving on. calling it <laughs> full of theory. controversial opinions oh wait wait no wait i get to say what i thought yes true. okay the first thing I i'm do? gonna say is i i yes i do the first thing i'm gonna say is mari i love you and i'm so proud of you and good on you kid you know i she's just a ball of talent and she was back when she was a young girl on stage and just a good sweet person and i'm so happy for her i watched 20 minutes of this it i turned it off i walked away i i could tell it was well acted i just it didn't occur to me to turn it back on. I will go back and watch for Mari because I'm proud of her. And if you say she's good, I want to see her. Um, but it just sort of wasn't super for me. Um, I, I, I kind of get it. Like, I understand yeah. why you have that reaction. I think that first episode is a little, like, um, you know, pro forma, like, sort of ticking yes. off the boxes of these kind of child prodigy stories. Right. And I'll try and keep, I, I like I said, I will go back and, and try for Mari because I will do anything for her. Um, by the way, Robert Eagers, I think is his name. It's uh, set in the 10th century uh, Viking era. It's called The Northman. It also right. stars Alexander Skarsgård because it has a Viking in it and it's required by law that he play any Viking character. Willem Dafoe, Ethan Hawke, and Bjork. <laughs> nice. Good cast. So... Is, it, is it planned for filming? Uh, they are never, filming it. No, they are filming it right now. Yet. And right. uh, uh, the quote from Kidman is, I'm terrified right now. Um, <laughs> I sound calm, but you shouldn't see what's going on inside. <laughs> oh, my God. Nice. Um, I also watched the first two episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh, it's fine. It's sort of more of the same. I don't know why I'm watching this. If we weren't in a pandemic, I probably would not be watching this. It's very silly. Baby Yoda... Um, is doing more kind of cute stuff. Uh, the plot is still kind of boring. Fanny's Baby Yoda is still being um, the Ewoks. Is this what yes, you're saying? Pretty much. Okay. Um, your your favorite uh, 
t- t- off with your Oliphant pants. Um, it's only been in the first episode so far, and I don't know these going to be a regular character. Um, so sorry to say that. Uh, there is also some Boba Fett teasing the return of Boba Fett. I do not care. Um, Pedro Pascal still has his helmet on. Uh, the effect. I thought he took it off. No, I don't think he has it all. Okay, I heard a rumor that he did. Maybe he does later. I don't, he hasn't yet. Um, the special effects are better. The mon- the first two episodes of the season have been like monster episodes, like crazy alien, whatever. I'm kind of here for that. I don't really care about like whatever, like, you know, Darth, uh, whatever. I don't, I don't like the, all the like tying into the mythology. I just want to see some aliens and some cowboys space cowboys in tight pants i'm fine with that um again without capes no capes no capes again pandemic um bob's burgers has been my guilty pleasure watch of the last week i love this show i think central park has sort of repositioned the show in my mind is just the the guys who make this show are just genius and the voice acting in the show is fantastic um i'm only on season four and i'm really parsing it out because i'm just enjoying it and it's a show i think i'm just gonna watch forever i'm just gonna watch like one episode every month yeah we'll see um yeah well tell me how that works (laughs) also watch indiana jones and the temple of doom which is currently streaming on netflix um it's funny speaking of ewoks yeah dave never liked this movie um i really loved it as a kid again i was 12 he was a bit older when it came out um it was one of my first sort of like you know man crushes on evil harrison ford why does he get hotter as he gets more evil in that show i don't know um um that's science that that is science totally Um, (laughs) bad hot bad men creepy men jerky men evil men they're always hotter than that's not even a question that's just the way the world is moving on i'm sorry but i've never yes no that is Um, i know you don't want to believe it but you've you've just been lucky (laughs) as i watched this i dave's was like oh i like this better than i thought i did because it's a really t- it moves so well it's beautiful the colors in that movie there's a really nice uh sort of print of it right now on netflix um it's funny it's creepy it's exciting all it's so pulpy it's so stupid it's super racist um, oh yeah <laughs> it has a lot of problems um, it has the wonderful line though of chilled monkey brains which we say in our house a lot um and what's her name is the oh my god why am i forgetting her name kate capshaw kate capshaw spielberg's wife is not great and has nothing to do and after and and it's a when did she be when did she become spielberg's wife oh yeah that movie right Uh uh-huh yeah. Well, who was he married to when they started making this movie? Yeah, that was Amy Irving. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, still a fun movie. I still think it's um I'm gonna rank it the second best Indiana Jones movie. I still think it. Um all right, moving on. I am reading still Stalking Darkness is the second book in the Night Runner series by Lynn Fluelling. <laughs> Cannot say her name. Um, I like this more than the first one. And I was so ready to be like, ah, I'm putting this series down. There are seven books in the series. I'm going to keep reading it. It, it. There was finally a kiss between the main characters. Um, still in the age gap, which is a little creepy. Uh, but... Yeah, I found myself literally like I, I felt like one of those like you know Harlequin readers from like the 1980s, like fanning myself when they finally kissed. <laughs> I was very like, ah, they finally admitted it. Like it was, um, wow, my brain is broken from everything and stalking darkness. I want some queer uh, thief, thieves guild, thieves guild fantasy. Um, yeah, that's the thing I just said. Um, it is right. out loud and on <laughs> tape. I can go back and play it whenever I want. Absolutely. Finally, I want to play just a very quick clip of, because I haven't played music in a while, uh, De La Soul, the best hip-hop band ever. Yeah, ever. Ever. Uh, Surprise dropped a single called Remove 45 right before the election. Um, 
I thought it was appropriate then. It may be more appropriate now. Uh, there's a bunch of old, amazing hip-hop heads on this song. Pharaoh Monk and um, uh, Chuck D from Public Enemy. Let's take a quick listen to Remove 45, an anthem for our times. Wait, let me turn off the hate. Though it's hard to spread harmony when his policies are for harm. People of color is not a blemish on the face of white America, but his story breeds hysteria, which means wisdom being pulled out the root of the White House, sort of like a tooth. But do understand we have cysts as well. Lyricists here to question your alternative to a billionaire, reptilian, and human skin imposter. Allahu Akbar, this is for the Rasa. He's sick, mentally not credible, inherently so stupid he thought Bitcoin was ethical currency. Clown ass president. More of a clown's ass than Ronald McDonald's rump. Look, every person who voted for Donald is not a racist, but every racist who voted probably voted for Donald Trump. Okay, that was De La Soul, Room 45. I think a one-off single, although they're just definitely like due for a new album. So I will take it because I love them. Um, all right, should we move on to our Who Dat segment? Yeah, Who Dat. Who Dat. Um, Pucky, Who Dat. You got to assign me. <laughs> I did. I assigned you. Last week, I go back and listen. I did John Kuzak. And since it was my idea, I got to assign myself. And I went really easy. So I decided to go easy on Justin and assigned him his favorite director, who is Mike Lee. And so take it away, Justin. Who dat? Mike Lee. Who dat, Mike Lee? Um, so this was actually harder than I thought. Because, I mean, Mike Lee is a genius. And... <laughs> Pretty much there's no going wrong with any Mike Lee. So it's hard to even think about essentials and deep dives. And I have such a sort of um, emotional connection to his movies that it's hard for me to even think about that category of essential and deep dive. Um, just a little background. He is a British director and writer. Uh, he started making TV dramas and plays in the 70s. Um, he always works in this very improvisational way. He gets actors that he loves. He has a general outline for a script and he really just kind of workshops them until the script is finished. Uh, they're always very kind of slow paced. Uh, they tackle uh, class uh, mostly about, especially in, in English kind of seventies, eighties Thatcher. That's kind of his big sort of topic. Although I think he's expanded since then. Um, they're always hilarious to me like his humor is so dry but i cackle like i'm the kind of person that goes to mike lee movies and cackles through them and everybody looks at me like i'm crazy um but i think he's trying to be hilarious but he's also sweet and optimistic on top of all that sort of caustic um observation so he's you he's yeah no i mean i really <laughs> emotionally i'm just like this is my lane i yeah you just if I had to describe you to someone, that would be it. That would, yeah, you just right. did it. Good. All right. Well, I like that. Um, our great art uh, crushes tell us more about ourselves, right? Um, so I'm Keanu Reeves? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the essentials. All right. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because there's a lot. Life is Sweet is I, his big breakthrough. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. I worked at the Angelica Film Center in New York when it uh, came out. Um, yeah. And it was just one of those kind of first uh, UK cinema sort of breaking out. Sort of everybody was talking about it. Uh, Jim. Okay. First of all, I got to say all of Harry Potter's best actors got their start <laughs> in Mike Lee movies. Um, you will hear many of them here, so just get ready. Uh, this one stars Jim Broadbent, Alison Stedman, Timothy Spall. Uh, these are all regulars in a lot of his movies. They're fantastic. Um, also, though, it stars Stephen Ray and the goddamn motherfucking Jane Horrocks, Bubbles from Abfab, in the most brilliant performance ever. Uh, it is just about young, surly teenagers living in uh, sort of depressed uh, English uh, housing. Um, also, Secrets and Lies uh, is the one. I feel like Secrets and Lies was his sort of 
big sort of respectable peak. Uh, Absolutely. Brenda Blethen, who's genius, and Leslie Manville. It is about a woman who um, basically uh, has an adopted daughter and kind of about race and just sort of figuring out all of their history together. It's it's amazing. It's one of his most kind of straightforwardly sentimental, not necessarily funny, but very just really digging into uh, family drama. And the performances are outrageously good. Um, Another Year is kind of my personal favorite. It's the one that I rewatch most often, Jim Broadbent again, who is, I don't know, if I had to pick like a, a movie dad, I just want Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Movie dad. He's my favorite. He's just, he's, he's so, so wonderful. And he's so funny and he's a brilliant actor. And I don't even know if he's a good guy. I don't really want to know, but he is. Just... No, we're going to say he's a good guy, period. Yeah. That's just what we're saying because he's. And and that he would always just be warm and wonderful, and, and I love yeah. him so much. Yeah, and he and Rusheen in another year play a couple that you sort of just follow through a, several years, and their families sort of, um, you know, going through stuff and dealing with their kids who they're frustrated by, but also love dearly. It is the most uh, just kind of subtle, perfect family drama. I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. Also, um, Career Girls is another one that came out kind of in that early 90s, mid-90s peak. I don't know, sometime in the 90s when I was at the Angelica, or maybe shortly after. Um, Time is a bitch. Uh, Yep. I don't know how you say her name. Katrin? Katrin Cartledge is so brilliant in this she died in i believe 2006 um it's one of the great kind of sad losses of british cinema she is so good um she sort of set the tone for that sort of like frosty kind of um just tough as nails um i feel like she influenced so many actors she's amazing have you ever seen this one no um it's worth watching it's basically about these two women sort of navigating a friendship and also trying to get jobs. Um, it's phenomenal. It's sort of, I think at the time it was considered sort of a lesser Mike Lee movie, but people have sort of grown to love her over the years. But those people are wrong. They're totally wrong. <laughs> um, finally, Naked, which is, I feel like Career Girls and Naked sort of go together because Naked is this male kind of, it's interesting because Naked is about a very toxic, very angry, um, sort of repressed kind of punky guy um and career girls is sort of more about how people avoid that how women avoid that by forming relationships and naked is about how he's totally alone and never does sort of make those connections uh david thewlis is it's his master performance he's so good in this movie it is super toxic it's hard to watch it's really just pure just like bile and kind of spiteful behavior but you also are like oh god i want to have give this person a hug um that's what he's really good at um deep dives okay so the deep dives a few of these for me are his period pieces which he's been sort of leaning into more recently i don't love this as much um i love that he's trying to do them it's so funny because he has such a modern aesthetic or at least he has a very kind of 80s 90s aesthetic so when he tries to do these period pieces it always feels a little weird but also sort of engaging and i think that's why I put them on the deep dive list because I can't stop thinking about the way he thinks about history because he's a genius. Uh, at the top of this, this is Peter Liu. It is his most recent film, I think. Uh, and 18, it's about the 18, 1819 UK massacre of a crowd that gathered to demand the reform of parliamentary representation. It is sprawling. It is like uh, Charles Dickens, but with like a crazy improv um very dark humored uh look at that world it was sort of a flop it is i believe on amazon prime because they they financed it it's amazing it is long it is slow it's fantastic um also in the historical vein Vera drake uh starring imelda staunton again no about a woman who was basically providing illegal abortions in 1950s uh it's incredible like i just it's so good um I, I, I like him better when he's doing historical pieces that have a bit of a topical political slant that he really cares about. I think that really comes through. Um, finally, one more uh, political piece, Topsy Turvy about Gilbert and Sullivan. I did not like this when it came out. It was the, kind of his first big foray into these big budget historical pieces. Um, 
I want to go back and rewatch it. It has definitely stuck with me. Again, it's Jim Broadbent as uh, one of the duo. I can't remember exactly which one, um, but it's a little more extravagant. It could get more of a budget. Um, there are many great scenes in it. I think it's really about the art of theater and sort of community of theater um, and worth a look. Um, I also want to talk about Meantime. It is one of his 70s movies made for TV about two totally different brothers in a super lower class, lower middle class family. Uh, the two brothers are played by Tim Roth and Gary Oldman in their very first performances. It is wild. Um, Tim Roth is playing uh, sort of a mentally disabled uh, character who is trying to sort of connect with people. Gary Oldman is playing the skinhead racist punk. Uh, they are both phenomenal. It's worth watching just to kind of see how they started and has a lot of Lee's kind of raw, nutsy energy. Finally, happy-go-lucky. I want to end on a good note. Uh, this is Sally Hawkins. Um, Yay! has been in a bunch of things lately, including The Shape of Water. This is about a teach. This is such a funny outlier in the Mike Lee uh, catalog. It is about a teacher that is just fucking happy and loves teaching kids and people Aww. think she's kind of a chump um, but she sort of has her own agency and the movie is kind of constantly questioning the idea of like, is she stupid or is she just well adjusted? Um, I, I, I think that's kind of all like Mike Lee, you know, everything again, everything is amazing. There are probably like 10 other early things that I haven't seen from his TV movies that are hard to find, but I'm going to keep tracking them down because going on this little uh, Houdat journey just made me realize how much I love him. So. Yay! I'm really happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I don't have an assignment for you right now, Fanny, but we will think about it and and, and move on. Um, anything else this week? Nope. Okay, that's it. Hey, you guys, we made it. Um, hopefully, we'll have Hanlon's razor. Yeah, <laughs> razor is happening. Where can they tell us about any of the stuff that they've seen, or they can give us and who that suggestions? Yeah, tell me who I'm deep diving or whatever. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for the next podcast, and we are there. I promise. I swear to God, I I have posted there, so you could come find us. You can send us a email. Do you remember email? Email's a thing. You can send us an, an email at emotiontonix at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter. I just tweeted out a picture of my dog who has been irritating you for the last 45 minutes. And you can do that at the next podcast. And I am at Fanny V. Darling. And I met Justin Hartung on Twitter. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. <laughs>